$17 deadlocks the state legislature. Casino developers say we'll keep our promises, but cities should play nice. And the looming fight over Ohio's new execution procedure. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of All Sides with Ann Fisher on WOSU 820. Joe Hallett, senior editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Michael Miller, attorney and former Franklin County prosecutor. And Catherine Terser, legislative director for Ohio Citizen Action. $17, that is what came between state lawmakers and a compromise that would have solved the state's budget problem. Democrats want to delay the last phase of the state's income tax cut. Republicans said, okay, but we'll only agree to two-thirds of the income tax cut, to delay two-thirds of it. For the median income owner, income earner in Ohio, the difference between the two plans is roughly $17 a year, or a buck and a half a month. Republicans favored using casino money, state park drilling fees, and cutting funds for the homeless. And Fisher, fear of voting for a tax increase of $17, that's what kept this from being resolved. Well, yeah, I guess that, but maybe there's some other things they didn't get in there because there was a lot more in that proposal than just, um, you know, a change in the percentage rate of the uh, tax decrease or increase yeah. or whatever it would be. And uh, one of them, strangely, was an increase in spending um, to increase, restore 25 to 35 million next year to private chartered schools. And stuff like that uh, may have turned the governor off more than anything. Um, it wasn't really a compromise in the amount. There was a lot of other stuff at stake. But if the Republicans are gonna go along with two thirds of what the governor wanted, why not just well, that's the thing they aren't the going to go along with two thirds. They couldn't get their own um, yeah. caucus to. Uh, they couldn't get enough votes in their own caucus to get it through the Senate. Well, the irony is that they they couldn't get more than a handful of votes for their own plan, <clears throat> and then they vote. Then they blamed the Democrats, the twelve Democrats in the Senate, and the governor for killing their plan. Uh, never have uh, has a legislative majority. Uh, tried so hard to avoid the responsibility as the Senate Republicans. I mean, it's a sh it's a sh shameful day in our legislature, in my opinion, because the governor proposed a reasonable alternative, supported by the Ohio Business Roundtable, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, the Ohio Manufacturing Association. All of these are benefactors of the Republican Party, but the Republicans in the Senate are so afraid of their right flank that there's no way they will vote on a tax increase. They are all in safe districts. The only way they get beat is from the right. And they all see a, a vote on a tax increase is lethal. Well, and they wanted to balance it on the, oh, the, the housing well, trust fund. And I think, now. oh my goodness, you want to balance the budget on the back of homeless people? This is not acceptable. And then they're creating studies to look at things, study the potential cost savings of a four-day work week, create a study to look at allowing private insurance entities to compete with the State Bureau of Workers' Compensation. All this stuff in there that really needs to be debated fully, too, um, in, in, in their, in, uh, as separate bills. But in the Republicans' defense, Michael, they don't want to see taxes raised. Maybe they think there are efficiencies out there, more cuts that can be made, rather than first go to taxes. Well, I suppose it's true, Mike. I, I, What's happening doesn't, uh, to me, it's no different than what's happened for years and years and years. Uh, but I tend to agree with Joe that it's gone, it's gone too far, and I think something 
uh, eventually they're going to compromise and do something, but they have to. There's just no alternative. And if, as you put it, which I had not heard that number before, put in that way, $17 is a pretty, <laughs> a pretty yeah, minor disagreement. We, we so we came up with a different number when we asked the taxation department to, to run mm -hmm. for us. It was $22. Oh, That's yeah. for a family of four, $60,000. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, yeah, I saw like 30000 Yeah, I was using that. $30 for, for $60,000. Yeah. I based it on the median income, which is 45 thousand so but anyway it's just even if you the whole amount it's so it's like a couple bucks a month well and you look at dollars for a thirty thousand dollar family yeah you look at the alternative i mean we have right now college presidents school superintendents advocates for the poor all counting on this 851 million that's going to eventually go into the budget by hook or crook mm -hmm. and they're stringing it along and avoiding the inevitable, and they're going to have to provide five votes with the 12 Democratic votes. The Senate Republicans are going to have to provide five votes to eventually pass the Strickland plan. My, my uh, sentiment is get on with it. And if they don't do it by January 1st or December 31st, they no longer have the tax cut delay cover. Right. Right. They go to tax hike right. at that point because the, right. the tax cut will have kicked in. Mm -hmm. So does that put a... Does that make the chances of passing something before then greater? Well, I think it does, but I still think it's semantics. I mean, to call this a, a tax hike, or ta it, it's an absurdity, I think. So I, if that's the deadline, if it's going to be done by then, I, I, I like to think that eventually cooler heads will prevail and they'll get something done. All right, our next topic. After convincing voters to change the Constitution, casino developers did not waste any time offering to help legislators write new law. The legislature has six months to pass a law that basically sets the specific rules for how casinos will be run. The casino bosses propose a law that mandates that 90% of the jobs go to Ohioans, that cash wages be taxed, cash wagers be taxed, and the church bingo would continue. In return, the casino developers want state law to prevent local officials from unnecessarily delaying the projects. Joe Hallett tries to erase some of those fears that were raised during the campaign, but they want cities to play nice. Yeah, and this is when the real fight begins. Uh, they want, the casino owners want to wipe away any vestige of local control um, so that they, uh, you know, can't have their zoning permits or their building permits or anything else delayed. Uh, this is aimed squarely at Columbus because the other it, cities it approved is. it. Exactly. And we have uh, uh, our own Central Ohio delegation that is thinking about some actions to take. Uh, uh, Senator Goodman and is talking with other Ohio legislators about a potential opt-out for for the Columbus Casino since in Franklin County and in Columbus it was overwhelmingly defeated. Uh, there are other senators talking about fixing the amendment so that Ohio gets uh, more tax dollars out of it and higher fees from the from the casino uh, licenses. So I think we're we're going to see a really pitched battle over the next few months uh, in the rule writing process. But the casino developers have the amendment. They have the upper hand, yeah. I think, and I, I'm not quite sure still. I mean, I understand the uh, emotional um, end of it, but I really don't understand how one part of the state can go and have an exception made for it after there's been a statewide vote on something. I just I don't understand the logic of that at all. I agree with Ann. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, are we going to say the legislature passes taxes, but my, my block didn't? 
or I voted against it, therefore it doesn't apply to me. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to do. I understand what they're trying to do, and I wasn't in favor of it personally. I voted against it. Uh, but it's there, and I think uh, uh, we're going to open up a real Pandora's box. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to be done, but it is not going to be easy stopping it, in my judgment. What is an unreasonable delay in, uh, in zoning <laughs> enforcement? That's what we have courts for, Mike. <laughs> 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 well, that, if it goes to the court, then we're talking a delay. It was not defined. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the city isn't mandated really to do anything by this constitutional amendment. Uh, it's not required to build utility lines or highways or access routes or anything. And so the casino operators need all of that stuff. And even if they're willing to pay for it, the city of Columbus, for instance, might say, well, we're not going to approve it because this is not the kind of development we want. And voters certainly said they don't want it. And that's what this suggestion for the law is aimed at getting. I, at. I think so. Yeah. Um, so six months. The legislature has six months to write the rules. We expect this resolved in that time. What happens if they don't write them in six months? It's the legislature, and like, <laughs> so what do they pass? Nine bills this Nine year? Bills. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could, <laughs> there's some mathematics in there somewhere, but yeah. I don't know how they're going to get anything done. Well, the, the the budget bill we just talked about had $200 million in there from casinos. Mm -hmm. So if that's included, that's a good hint that maybe the legislature might move this along pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I think Mike and Anna are right. This thing's going to be tough to stop. But you can, I mean, the opt-out amendment would take an, another vote by, the, by Ohio. It's right. a new constitutional mm -hmm. amendment. And that's not impossible. Uh, uh, and maybe if the case were made, and I think certain business leaders in Columbus would make the case to the rest of the state was, we don't care if you have your casinos in, Col in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo. Toledo, if you want them, they're yours. We don't want one, so don't force one upon us. I think it's a pretty good emotional argument. Okay. It is a good emotional argument, and it may be a good monetary argument for those that have casinos in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Toledo. Absolutely. People will just go there that want them here. But of all the casinos that they've proposed or are now planning to build, the biggest payday probably is Columbus because it's the farthest from established casinos. Cleveland being a close second probably, but Toledo's near Detroit and Cincinnati's near Indiana. The money's here. So, Our next topic, after a botched execution in September, the state of Ohio has changed its procedure for lethal injection. Since it resumed the death penalty, Ohio and every other state has used a three-drug system to execute condemned inmates. But Ohio could not execute Ramel Broom because technicians could not find a suitable vein. State officials have moved to a system where one massive dose of an anesthetic would be injected through an IV, and if technicians cannot find a vein, then two other drugs would be, drugs would be injected into the muscle. Michael Miller, is this a better way, one drug? Well, I think it's a better way. I, uh, uh, the, the, the death sentence, Mike, is, uh, is something you're either in favor of or you're not. And those who are opposed to it, regardless of what way it comes up, uh, are going to be opposed to it. And I suppose those who are in favor of it don't really care how it's done. Uh, you'd like to think it would be humane. Uh, I was really kind of su uh, surprised by some of the comments on this from the groups, and there was more than one plural, who are clearly anti-death. 
and calling this, uh, I think one of them called it like a step in the right direction. I was really kind of surprised at that. But they, they feel that it's probably more humane. On the other hand, other people are saying, well, it hasn't been tested, so we're still using humans as guinea pigs and so forth. I think the long and the short of it is it'll be held constitutional. We'll see a lot of uh, arguments, as we always do, in the courts about this. Eventually, it'll be satisfied. Some other states will probably follow us, and we'll go on with the executions that we have uh, set. Yeah, I am definitely one of those people you start talking about how you execute. La 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 la, I don't want to actually hear it. And I think I think that people who are opposed to the death penalty and the notion that, you know, the the government can put somebody to death, um, it doesn't necessarily make them feel better that you can do it in a nice way. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it, it it was horrifying to think about, you know, um someone being executed and and the process taking so long and crying out in pain. Um, So it is certainly better to have a a situation that is a little more humane. Not that death is humane. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I mean, is is going to a single drug not, I mean, it may work, it may not. We don't know. But is that the only option or are there other ways um, to adjust the process um, and make it better, for lack of a better word? a good point. I mean, Ohio may or could have an execution as soon as December 8th. And um, no other stri- state has tried this. So the, the, the country is going to be watching this. We're, we're literally using the next, the next death row inmate as a guinea pig to see if this works. And it does sound like, I mean, if there is a humane way to kill somebody, this sounds more humane than the, the old way. But uh, we really don't know. I mean, it's used uh, routinely on animals, but we don't know so how it's going to work with a human. Sh- I mean, you can't really test it, obviously. Um, but there are laboratory tests you could do, do I would think. Large I mean, they test all kinds of things. And I'm sure know? they've done those things. You know, they yeah. put a man on the moon, you know. Yeah, why can't right. they test? What would it take to kill right. a man? Another thing is, why don't they check their veins, like, I don't know, two, three days before ex- execution day to see how they're, how they're working? You know, instead of having the big surprise, you know, inside the, uh, the the chamber while people are watching or waiting, I don't. Because there's still it's still IV here, unless and if it doesn't, there is a backup. That's the other change. That's the probably perhaps the biggest change is there is a backup method now in case they can't get a vein. It is interesting. It is interesting to me. Um, it seems like the more kind of executions we have, the more the people that are actually opposed to execution get accustomed to it. And I really did think when when. Um, this hiccup occurred and when when it was so obvious you know just how painful it can be in the, the, the process that it would make um, people re-examine it and then it would add some fire to kind of protest yeah, whether people would a lot fewer pe- I think the numbers are almost even now uh, for and against mm-hmm. it and uh, they it, that's a big change over maybe 10 mm-hmm. 15 years ago I think. Well, well it's a penny on it's going to change but but again Catherine also when you look about what these people did mm-hmm. And I've seen lots of people that were sort of on the fence. And when they saw what these guys did, that this thing, the one that was botched up, raping and murdering nine-year-old girls or 12-year-old girls or whatever, those people seen to me to say, hey, get, well, how are you doing? Let's get rid of this guy. So to me, it sort of had an opposite effect. Once they got to the nitty-gritty of the offenses, the, the horrendous offenses that put them there, the sympathy uh, quickly evaporated for them. Okay. Topic number four. If you work in a newsroom, you know that reporters and editors will get far more sympathy calls for stories about abused animals than we get calls about abused wives, children, or girlfriends. It appears that disparity extends to state law in law enforcement. In a week-long series, the Columbus Dispatch reported some disturbing things, including less than half of all domestic violence calls result in an arrest, and that laws give more protection to pets 
than victims of domestic violence. Joe Hallett, the problem is not new. We've been dealing with this problem for, you know, decades. But the numbers, were the numbers as surprising to you as they appeared oh, in the paper? Yeah, they were, frankly. I mean, it's something we all know about. Uh, it's, I think, something that's been underexposed. Um, too often the problem is that the victims uh, recant or just don't want to talk about it. Uh, Mike, I'm sure, faced that many times when he was prosecutor. But, you know, we have 17,000 mostly women killed every year in domestic violence. We have, uh, there's at least 35 men in Franklin County who have been convicted five times or more uh, uh, since 2000 of domestic violence who have not spent hardly any time in jail at all. So there clearly is a need, and Governor Strickland is, is addressing or promising to address this, for a relook at the laws uh, governing uh, uh, domestic uh, violators. The repeat offenders would seem to be an obvious place right. where you could easily change the law. You could caught twice, no mercy. The, you should be at mercy the first time, but certainly it's not the second time. But it's tough right. to, to prosecute these cases right off the bat. It can be very difficult, as Joe says, people backing down. And you, and you get into some problems that people don't realize. Um, you, you take the, a mandatory sentence like we have for OVIs, which is three days the first time or a program. Second time within six years is ten days, and it, it, it goes up. But you get somebody that's in there for a domestic violence and having no sympathy, but they, they've lived together for years, perhaps husband and wife, and the judge wants to give him 30 days, he's going to lose his job. Now who, now, who is penalized for that? Uh, the victim is penalized all over again. The guy loses his income, and they will fire him, and now he can't provide for his children and so forth. And you get those mixes. Sometimes it's not quite, quite black and white, but it's easy to make these things mandatory, and a second offense would be more, and a third offense would be more. We do it for other f crimes that are not violent crimes, that are not intentional crimes, such as an OVI. And I don't know why we couldn't do it for something like this. I really don't know who would be opposed to it, and some of these guys... They really need to see the inside, not only of a jail, but on the inside of a prison. The thing is, the le legislation, no matter what, and I covered it, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago in the Senate when they were working on uh, the, the, at the time, was groundbreaking legislation to, to deal with this issue. The same questions came up. The same reasons um, stopped them from doing much at all. But ultimately, one of the biggest problems that I saw in the in the um, series of, in the Columbus Dispatch was the fact that you how do you account for the disparities between counties and between uh, uh, you know municipal subdivisions and that that kind of thing you, you know one sheriff's going to do it one way in one county and another one's going to do it another way in another county and how, how do you legislate uniformity? And I keep thinking that as much as we need to think about kind of punishment of criminal behavior, we need to think about how do we support um, the right. person who's actually being abused so that she, he, well, just in case, um, will testify so, so that, um, and will um, find a way to, to continue and support the family, herself, all of the things that you need to do um, because it is um, a situation of isolation so often. Uh, and so, you know, we, we need to support, support those women right. and men. <laughs> Officers are to arrest the primary aggressor when there is evidence of domestic violence. What if there's no evidence but the police officer knows 
that there's been Mike, that's violence the definition here. of what evidence is. Yeah. It's usually the first one that calls, if mm -hmm. the, if the, and it's generally a female, as we yeah. all know, uh, that's the, the battered victim in these things. And if they say that's what happened, I, I think most of the time the police arrest. Now, then there are exceptions, of course, and who knows whether they're right or wrong. And Joe's right. We have so many deaths. Uh, I don't know what it is in Columbus, but it seems like that once every three years or four years, we have somebody who's murdered by one of these guys who's out on bond or has pled and didn't get a sentence, and all hell breaks loose. The problem with it is, you know, it would never happen if, if, if a judge or a prosecutor or a policeman or, or a newspaper man was wise enough to know, well, this is the guy. You don't know. Yep. And they make educated uh, choices and so forth. And, uh, but it's a terrible problem. And I do think the main thing we need are more shelters. We need to protect them as best we can. We can do that. I don't know if we can ever stop some of the senseless violence. But we need to protect these, these women. And not forget right. the babies. Right. I mean, not that's the other the thing. Babies. It's not like they're not children in these homes. Alternatives. That's right. Well, I think we're going to definitely see a strengthening of the law, state laws on this. And one of the things they're going to do is uh, they will... En enable prosecutors to follow through with investigations mm -hmm. and gathering evidence and all this stuff, even when the um, victim, yeah. generally the woman, uh, won't testify or recants. Mm -hmm. uh, and many of them do so because, as Catherine mentioned, mm -hmm. they have nowhere else to go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's where the support comes in as well. Our last topic, how Ohio and other states pick judges was in the spotlight this week, right here at COSI. Ohio Chief Justice Thomas Moyer helped lead a two-day forum on the pros and cons of electing versus appointing judges. Of course, Ohio elects its judges, and those campaigns raise and spend a lot of money. From 1999 to 2008, Ohio Supreme Court candidates raised some $21 million in campaign funds. Ohio ranks number two in the country when it comes to Supreme Court campaign fundraising. Catherine, if Ohio moves to electing judges, mm -hmm. will it bring the politics, I mean, to appointing judges, I'm sorry, will it solve the problem? Well, you know, nothing is going to completely solve every problem. But the thing to remember is 83% of Ohioans believe that money influences the process, that special, inter inf uh, special interests actually influence judges, which means that um, there's not you know, the sense that um, of independence, of fairness. You know, Lady Justice doesn't wear a blindfold for a lot of Ohioans. They don't believe in the process. So there is a significant cost to that. And the thing that was really wonderful about this conference is we talked about a bunch of different options. We talked about a merit selection with retention elections as an option. We had talked about public financing. Um, no solution is going to be absolutely perfect, and you can't keep politics out of everything. But what we have right now is broken. Well, it went before the people, what, in 2002 or whenever no, that was, and then they failed. 1987. I, how, I, I completely lost <laughs> track of You were just too young. Yeah. <laughs> failed overwhelmingly. <laughs> yeah, it failed overwhelmingly. So when it goes to the vote, it's kind of like, you know, term limits for everybody but my, my, you know, my legislator mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Well, and I was one of those that voted in 87 or whatever it was. Uh, uh, against it. Uh, I didn't want the merit selection and uh, I didn't want them to, in my judgment, take my vote. I think that was sort of foolish of my part because the longer I've been around it, and I've not been around it longer, I care to think, 45 years or so. And no, it's not going to take the politics out of it, but do I think it's a better system? I do think it will be. I, I think we'll, we'll eliminate some of the extremes and, and some people probably that both parties put up who really should be there who are politically rewarded. So I, I think we would have a better system. I think we have a pretty good system now, but I think it would be better, and I think we need to move towards the merit. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I'd love to see a situation where we have judges in the common police court who try criminal cases only and others have civil only. I think it would be even 
better. I can't get anybody to agree to that. Uh, other states have done it, uh, not many, but some, and I think it would be great. The whole system would so be better. You have two sets of judges, one civil, one criminal. That's, right. That's all they do. Yeah, they wouldn't <laughs> like it because they like the, the, the differences, but yeah. I think we'd be have a better system. I do. Chief Justice Moyer, who is the third longest serving Chief Justice in Ohio history, uh, views this as, as a legacy change he wants to make because uh, people, the polls show that 70% of people believe that judicial decisions are influenced by money. And frankly, you wonder whether that's not a reality. When you look at whether it was the Democratic Celebrezzi Court going about 70% of the time in favor of labor unions and trial attorneys, or the current all-Republican court that rules roughly 70% of the time in favor of businesses mm -hmm. and insurance companies and so forth. So maybe perception is reality, but uh, the Chief Justice only wants this merit selection plan for the Supreme Court at this time. He wants to leave the trial courts elected and, and the lower appellate courts uh, elected. He sees that there was a turning point on this issue in the public mind in 2000 in the race involving yeah. Justice Hallis, Roby Resnick. And the smear campaign right. funded the smear by the campaign chamber. And, go ahead. We're going to get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel, some final thoughts and predictions for the weeks ahead. Uh, Ann Fisher, uh, you are up first. Well, first I want to convey my condolences to the family of Stephanie Spielman and predict that her valiant efforts to raise money and awareness um, for cancer research uh, will not end with her passing. Okay. Joe. I predict that by mid-December, uh, the Senate Republicans, uh, Bill Harris, will corral the necessary five votes needed to go with the 12 Democratic votes to approve uh, Governor Strickland's budget fix. As he proposed it. Yes. Michael. I agree with what uh, Ann and Joe have said. And I'd like to add, I'm heading for Ann Arbor tomorrow, and we're going to beat Michigan for the eighth time in nine years. All right. And if you're watching on Sunday, you can see if he was right. <laughs> Catherine. And, and on a very hopeful note, I also... It's not hopeful what he was saying? No, well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, on a hopeful note, I uh, believe that the Senate and the House will begin to both agree that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. <laughs> At least this one time. Yeah. one time. Before or after a conference committee. <laughs> that is Columbus on the record for this week. Please check out our website. There you can get a preview of the topics of the week. We have streaming videos. You can catch this show and some past shows. There's a link to Facebook and also a link to our blog. That's all at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week and a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>